Hi, I'm Camille. I'm Calvino. My name's Harini, and welcome to this week's episode of the News Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the role of the media, especially film, in creating and perpetuating stereotypes regarding women through tropes. Film tropes are generally defined as devices to help communicate something figurative in a story to the audience, like archetypal characters and plot arcs. But tropes for women, from the bombshell, the bridezilla, the cool girl, to the seemingly asexual, career-oriented woman and ice queen are often one-dimensional and promote antiquated stereotypes. They uphold binaries and creep into our everyday lives through the guise of unconscious bias. So, it's important to recognise these tropes and unpick them, especially considering the way in which media plays an almost all-consuming role in contemporary society. In today's episode, we're going to go over five common female stereotypes in film and analyse the dangers of representing women in this way. To start off with the trope of having a trophy girlfriend or trophy wife. For example, in the film Superfly, Julian Roman describes the women as sexually objectified and have no input whatsoever. They exist to be the bling that the male characters flaunt like peacocks. This trope largely reinforces sexist stereotypes of all different kinds because it trivialises women's ambitions regarding their own career. It demeans a woman's capability into literally solely just chasing men and also promotes the idea that beauty is something that women leverage in order to minimise barriers such as marrying outside of one's social class. Also, there's actually evidence to show that this trope in films and books and social media as a whole is actually largely a myth in real life. For example, Elizabeth McClintock conducted research in inequality in relationships and actually concluded that handsome men partner with pretty women and successful men partner with successful women as the strongest force by far in partner selection is similarity in education, race, religion and physical attractiveness, suggesting that actually this trope has been completely blown out of proportion in the film industry and by tabloid newspapers into making people believe that it's actually a lot more common than it is and therefore more acceptable. Yeah, and McClintock also points out that there are observational biases at play, like tabloids who love to report celebrity gossip, especially the narrative of old men marrying young supermodels and the idea of multiple marriages where men trade up when their first wife or second wife's beauty fades. And that's evident in the Melania Trump narrative that the media has driven forward, where her accomplishments and her own personality is basically diminished to the accomplishments of her husband's wealth, status and power. The problem is that these are just stories and they're marketing ploys used for sales. And the danger of this trope comes from the fact that we carry these stereotypes and judgments into our everyday biases. So when we see a pretty woman with a man, we automatically assume she's a gold digger or that he's in a way bought her for her beauty. Fundamentally, it also highlights other very large issues in the patriarchy and in society in the West currently such as the subjectivity of beauty in terms of the wealth divide in that beauty is now sadly something that one can pretty much effectively buy through all kinds of different surgeries or simply having nicer clothes, hair treatments, skin treatments, all kinds of other things that you can pay for. And also in terms of colorism and racism and ableism and fat phobia and all kinds of other 
discriminations that go into what we believe is something that is beautiful enough that one would want to buy it as a wife. The bridezilla is another common trope within media, and an example of this would be both Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson in the movie Bride Wars. Bridezilla is just another word that tries to mutate the perfectly normal emotions felt by brides on their wedding day into uncontrollable hysteria or craziness. And this trope presents women as obsessive and frivolous, as they're often seen to be throwing money away in movies to flaunt status or throw the biggest and best parties. And if we look at movies like Bride Wars, we see a microcosm of the constant societal expectation on women to belittle and compete with each other, which is problematic in itself. This trope also presents the idea that men do not get involved in wedding planning. Even with shows with women that are not centred solely around marriage and relationships, a wedding often represents a central point in the plot. And the woman is often the one seen as controlling, whereas the male partner is the one who is struggling to commit to her overbearing nature, perhaps. And where men do play a role in wedding planning, it's often to diffuse tension between a crazy bridezilla and another popular trope, the hateful mother-in-law. Normally, this trope is also coupled with the characteristic slump women face in movies after they've gotten married and had kids and then just don't know what to do with their lives anymore. And that very much promotes the idea of stereotypical gender roles, which have definitely come a long way since this trope was first pushed in the film industry. It also shows the idea that women have been dreaming about their weddings since they were kids, and that is just not true. In contemporary society, firstly, not all women want to get married. Secondly, the pressure of having a big wedding is a social construct that stems from the media itself, and so villainizing this is representative of hypocrisy. Thirdly, not all marriages are heterosexual. When we look at lesbian weddings, we see that if one woman has more feminine energy, the term bridezilla is more likely to be attached to her, which is interesting in itself. The bridezilla trope is really representative of the double standards within society where a woman just cannot win. On one hand, she's supposed to have these high standards, managing the details of her wedding and being involved in the wedding planning. But then when she asserts her power, makes decisions or displays any form of competence, she's seen as crazy. Julie Kay, a lecturer at the University of Leicester, affirms this when she says that this doesn't show that there is, quote-unquote, an epidemic of hysterical bridezillas, but that our culture is really uncomfortable with the idea of women having power and also women being angry. It speaks to this deep anxiety we seem to have with women who assert themselves, who want to take control and have a voice. And again, like most of the tropes about women out there, the issue boils down to the fact that society is so set upon seeing a woman in a certain way. And if a woman deviates from this, she's villainised within society and displayed as a media trope. The term bridezilla also highlights these old-fashioned ideas about femininity, where women should not seek attention. Though the trope perpetuates the idea that marriage is at the centre of every woman's life and the stress leading up to the big day is all-consuming, a woman on her big day should be the centre of attention in a diminutive, quiet way. This represents an astoundingly sexist idea insinuating that the biggest day of a woman's life is the day that she gives herself to a man. Our take is that a wedding is only a small part of marriage, even though the media shows it to be marriage's public face. The media's overemphasis on women and weddings put pressure on women, contributing to sexism and perpetuating stereotypes. We also cannot talk about tropes of women in films without talking about the damsel in distress. Recently, the term has come to have negative connotations where the damsel is seen as weak and in need of rescue by a man or her knight in shining armour. And we can really see this in the portrayal of Diana in The Crown, who's portrayed as a victim throughout. And critics say that she is seen as a very one-dimensional character and her personality has fallen flat against the others. 
Diana is an imperfect character, but is represented in such a way that only shows one side of her personality, when the show could have benefited from showing layers of her imperfection. However, now that the trope is widely recognised as problematic, there has been a greater move in film away from this, and this often results in the anti-damsel, like Emma Watson's interpretation of Belle in Beauty and the Beast. But according to Hannah Fielding and many other feminist critics, this is also problematic in itself in that it is somewhat idealised, as a heroine who is never in distress is fundamentally an unrealistic portrayal of women in the patriarchy. According to Fielding, in modern times, being distressed does not refer to just being in physical danger or mortal peril of a dragon, as it may have been in older stories, but also day-to-day distress like stress, anxiety, pain, hurt, which are all legitimate emotions that everyone feels very often, and especially when fighting the patriarchy. And so it is dangerous to present women as completely anti-damsel. We are all imperfect in some way or another, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. In reality, yes, women do not need rescuing, they do not need saving, and they're perfectly capable of doing this themselves. But women should not feel like they are being anti-feminist for wanting to choose help. Asking for help is not a bad thing. And media representations of the damsel in distress trope and the anti-damsel don't help these types of sentiments. Wanda Sykes in Monster In-Law and Dion in Clueless represent the trope of the sassy black woman. This woman is often funny, characterised by her sass, eye rolls and finger waving. But this trope really reduces black women to one stereotype. They are not just the one-dimensional sidekick there to enhance the white protagonist storyline. Black women, and indeed all women of colour, have their own stories, their own complexities, and it's so important to recognise that and let them be the main characters and the protagonists of their own stories in film and media. The sassy black woman trope is dangerous not only for women, but also brings to light issues of intersectionality within the feminist discourse. However, a positive is that the trope is becoming increasingly discredited and Where the trope is used, this is often seen as lazy writing. And so within the film industry, there is a push for writers to give characters of colour the same depth of character and nuances that white roles also get. Though there is a movement away from this stereotype in the film industry, it is still largely seen today, especially in sitcoms that portray black women in very racially stereotypical ways in order to get laughs. And this canned laughter is insulting. It places black women's personality under the blanket term of sass, And black women have been oppressed for generations and that is not something to be ridiculed or something to be turned into a punchline. It is a facet of an otherwise whole personality. And that is why it's so important to understand this stereotype to make sure that issues of intersectionality within film are addressed appropriately. Finally, we have the trope of the asexual career woman. And crucially, It has to be said that this does not mean that asexuality is actually portrayed here in any way, let alone realistically or empathetically, and is much more just a blanket term for a woman whose career is seen to be everything and whose relationships and romantic aspects of her life are never actually explored or deepened. For example, one key career-obsessed woman portrayed in films is Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. At a first glance, her character can be seen as a woman who has a job that she's incredibly dedicated to and that this is often at the expense of other parts of her life for example a family balanced romance or friendships and that this causes some kind of internal conflict very often in popular films this is resolved when the character learns a lesson in inverted commas 
that a career or success is never as fulfilling as having a stereotypical nuclear family. These women are often portrayed as cold while they work, insensitive and heartless, things that men are often praised for in terms of a successful career setting. This places these women in a binary condition where either if you work you are undesirable and cold and hence can't make a good wife, friend, mother. And this reflects some of the sexist ideals in society where women who don't want children are pitied, women who place their career over finding love are seen as in need of fixing and that women in general cannot ever have it all. It also assumes that in order for women to be successful or to have booming careers, they need to give up their love, their youth, their beauty. And these women often lack sex appeal in the people chosen in films and the way that they are dressed, the way that their makeup is done, the way that their characters are portrayed. And is then portrayed in a way that is cold and hostile, suggesting almost that a woman has to lose her femininity as a whole to be something in life. This further contributes to the patriarchal bias towards masculine energies as being more meritable of success. Because of this, ambitious women are then pretty much pigeonholed and put into a box saying that no matter what work they do, what their career is or how successful they are, their defining characteristic is still their gender. Or in the trope of the asexual career women, their lack of love and romance, thus defining women as objects of love and romance. This undermines the individuality and ambition of women in general, which is harmful when these tropes carry across into unconscious biases against working women in the real world, as films, social media, tabloid newspapers are often the main way that we actually see our world portrayed back to us. And we can absolutely see this trope wormholing its way into reality with the rise of terms like boss babe, girl boss, which are great, now slightly outdated, but also does play into the idea that women who are successful are recognised by their gender over their accomplishments, ambition and successes, rather than in their own right. We really should not be afraid, first, of our femininity, and second, of purely calling ourselves bosses and leaving it at that. On the one hand, though, it is nice to have come together and celebrate women in these positions. To go back specifically again to The Devil Wears Prada, Meryl Streep's character, Miranda Priestley, enters the movie as a villain. Pretty much she's cruel, she's detached, and she's hugely successful. Throughout the movie, we then see glimpses into her personal life. She has lost another husband, her kids are bratty due to the neglect of their mother who prioritises her career, thus villainising career women once more. And this highlights that being a woman who has made it, in inverted commas, comes at an expense, in a way that we do not see men's characters portrayed in the same way as on a larger scale. This is often equated with being unfeminine and cold. Again, like many of the other tropes, this then means that the biggest problem with it is that it portrays women as entirely one-dimensional and either being a love interest and therefore very often sexually objectified or a man in inverted commas in the way that they are portrayed as being obsessed with their career which is how they would portray the average stereotypical man in their own films thank you so much for listening that's unfortunately all that we have time for for today regarding exploring this some of the different reasons that women are put into boxes in the film industries and how these tropes are negatively exploited 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and our content. And if you want to contribute any suggestions, any comments, what we should have said, what we said that you disagree with, we'll be happy to read them out at the beginning of the next episode. Be sure to DM us on Instagram at news underscore LDN. You can also write articles for our blog, which is still forever growing at www.newslondon.co.uk where we have new articles and new episodes every two weeks. This was the News Podcast.